0: Hi everyone, it is episode 23 of the Tata Cancer Podcast and in today's episode I have the incomparable Dr. Ellen Albertson. She is the midlife whisperer. She is also the host of Rock Your Midlife, the podcast and radio show uh, featured on Voice America and she is a breast cancer thriver, Survivor, all those good things. She is at the time of the recording of this episode, she was actually going through her treatment and um, very inspiring, very strong, very wise woman. And I am very excited to bring you the conversation that we had because she has so much wonderful information to share. And uh, I just think she's a totally kick ass. Lady, and I am happy to know her <laughs> and so, what's going on here in Portland? It is September. it is my birthday week. I'm going to be turning forty five actually the day that this podcast comes out, and it's so weird I don't um I don't feel... I don't, I don't know what 45 is supposed to feel like, actually. <laughs> I feel great. And this year is going to be pretty mellow. I'm going to be hanging with some friends. I'm going to get my hair cut, which is something I like to do. And I'm also going to um, have a little bit of a karaoke night with a few friends. And I am excited for that um but all in all things are going wonderfully the weather has gone a little bit schizophrenic and it's it was chilly-ish and then this week it's in the mid 80s for half of the i don't know half of the week And so I'm actually trying to not be resistant of that. Everybody I know is like, oh man, we really want fall. But I'm trying to embrace these last days of sunshine and uh, just get ready to hunker down. I got a raincoat, a nice raincoat from the Columbia store. Went with my friend Ian, who this, this is the thing here in Portland. If you have a pass to the Columbia employee store, you get this crazy discount. And otherwise, I am happy and enjoying myself. And um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Maybe I'll say more in a few episodes. Anyway, let's talk to Dr. Ellen. You're gonna love her. Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm going to be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. So welcome, Dr. Ellen. I'm so happy that you're here today. How are you?
1: I'm great, Junie. Thank you for having me. I am so grateful that you have this podcast as a resource for women. And I'm so looking forward to digging in the dirt around (laughs) breast cancer.
0: Yes, absolutely. We we never seem to have a shortage of things to talk about, but I wanted to, you are currently fighting breast cancer, correct? Correct.
1: I don't know if I want to use the word fighting, but I guess. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. But I mean, I'm just so much not a about being a empowered, positive, peaceful journey, because this fighting raises these cortisol levels and, you know, you don't want that to be happening. But yes, I am a breast cancer warrior. I guess that's the way I've kind of phrased it. I was diagnosed on April 12th. It was my son's 21st birthday. <sighs> I was shocked oh as I'm sure most women are, I am the healthiest person that I know. I am a dietitian. I'm a board certified health and wellness coach. I do all the things. Thank God for early detection. It was detected actually because I have dense breasts. So I had an ultrasound, an automated ultrasound for breast density. My mammogram in October was negative. So here I was six months later, got the call, went in. Um, and then the, radio, you know, the radiologist comes in and she is, says to me, you have a category five mass, which means <gasps> that there's a 95% chance that it is cancer. It's in that it's not benign. Um, that's malignant. Um, fortunately, I mean, my story went so fast. Fortunately, I, um, somebody chickened out of their biopsy. They were like, I don't want to do this. They called me the next day I got in, I had my biopsy. I was diagnosed with HER2-positive breast cancer, which is a very aggressive form of breast cancer. But Mm -hmm. the good news is there's very good immunotherapy, which targets um, the HER2 receptors. Um, And so I had my surgery really quick. So that was April 12th, surgery, May 5th. And Mm -hmm. now I am facing next week radiation, which is My decision to do a month worth of radiation, which I'm not looking forward to, but I'm doing all of the, you know, the complementary things really balancing the conventional care and the complementary, to keep myself as well as possible. So it's been a, it's been quite a Jersey journey. I have had moments of bliss and joy just enjoying being alive and so deeply grateful for um, the fact that it was caught early and I have the ability to, you know, navigate this, but then moments of like, I'm sorry, what the fuck is this? Why is this happening to me? I can't believe this is happening. Like like the surreal dream that you wake up and just go, wait a minute, no family history, nurse my kids for almost three years You know, my diet is mostly vegan, whole food, plant-based, all the stuff. I move my body every day. My diet is pristine. Um, But yes, I had trauma in my background. So I think that contributed Mm -hmm. to it. I did find out that I do have um, a BRCA2 mutation, which increases my risk. So a lot of silver linings too. just realizing, digging deeper into my health history and seeing, okay, so what can I do to bring my health up to even a higher level than it was before my diagnosis?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you did a, you did a lumpectomy, right?
1: I did lumpectomy. Correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, um, I know you had mentioned in a previous conversation that we had that I thought was absolutely fascinating. So you are a Reiki practitioner. Is that right? Correct. I am a master
1: of masters. Master, so I have been yes. doing, I've been doing Reiki for almost 30 years. I learned it, you know, like 30 years ago in my early thirties, Um, when like Reiki wasn't even a thing, it wasn't even on the radar. And now we know that Reiki is actually offered in like major teaching hospitals, Harvard based hospitals as a way of uh, helping with pain management. So doctors even prescribe it now. So yes, I've been doing it, practicing it, teaching it for years. And Mm -hmm. I found it is, was so, is and was so helpful in my healing in terms of after I had my lumpectomy, I literally probably took ibuprofen. I probably took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen for all of my healing. It was mostly ice and Reiki that I mm-hmm. uh, used for pain
0: management and for healing. That's so crazy. I mean, we've talked about Reiki on the podcast before, but would you explain, I mean, Reiki to me is is a little bit hard to wrap your head around if you've never heard it before. And even if you've received it, it's very, I don't know if esoteric is the word, but how would you describe Reiki to someone who's never heard it?
1: Sure. Well, first it's it's hard to describe. It's kind of like describing <laughs> chocolate, right? So I could tell you that chocolate is delicious and it's sweet and it's bitter and it melts at room temperature, but like until you try it. So I would say the best way to experience Reiki is to actually try it. And I actually do do distance Reiki. It can be done at a distance too over on my in my Facebook group which is Dr. Ellen's mastermind. So you can taste it there mm-hmm. or find a Reiki practitioner. But basically What Reiki is, is it, it means it refers both to the energy of Reiki itself, as well as the healing therapy of Reiki. So Reiki means universal life force energy. So it is the energy of everything. So it's the same as Mm. Chi, Prana. So what you're doing um, when you're practicing Reiki is that you are actually a straw or a funnel for this energy. So you're not actually, the energy isn't coming from inside of you. It is being um, broadcast through you. So it's like mm-hmm. there's a giant straw and the, pra- the the person receiving it, whether it's the self or someone else is actually drawing the energy in through you. So it doesn't deplete the practitioner, which is amazing. Oh, and again, that's it also great. refers to the practice of Reiki. So Reiki was, um, just rediscovered uh, the practice of Reiki was really developed by a Japanese name, a Japanese man named uh, Yusui. Uh, he actually had his own like crisis of faith. He was at midlife and he was like, life is meaningless. What am I doing here? He had lost um and a lot of loss in his life. And he basically went to a mountaintop and fasted and prayed for 21 days. And it was either going to be like, I'm going to die, or I'm going to discover this thing. And on the 21st day, Reiki just hit him and he had these three miracles happen. And then he decided to go and sort of start this whole system, the Yusui Yusui system of Reiki. So it refers again to this universal life force energy, as well as the actual practice of Reiki.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's so cool. And I I know that acupuncture has been introduced into a lot of hospitals. When I went through treatment, um, Kaiser was, excuse me, allowing people to use that for post chemo nausea was, I had some friends who actually really felt a lot of relief, but that's exciting that Reiki is starting to be introduced in that way as well. Um, That's really cool. So I know that beyond your, your own journey with breast cancer that you've actually been working with health and wellness. And one of your favorite topics to cover is self-compassion as well as as body image. Um, If you want to talk about that, I mean, I know a lot of women, obviously, breast cancer is really a a way to rock your body image.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the thing that's interesting is when we look at this area of body image, the majority of research is really on younger women, college Mm. students, but the negative body image doesn't go away at midlife. And certainly, you know, breast cancer can really rock that, whether you are you know, losing your breasts or you're losing your hair or you're just, you know, a lot of women go into medical menopause and they start gaining weight. I mean, it really definitely throws a huge monkey wrench into, into where your body's at. Um, And so the interesting thing is that, you know, body image really doesn't have to do with your body. Mm -hmm. body image is in your mind. So it is the way that you perceive your body, how you see yourself. And what's so interesting, I actually was looking for an intervention for negative body image, because it is so ubiquitous in women, you know, something like most women, at least 80% um, of us have negative body image. And again, with the cancer issue, I know I was struggling with myself, like have a mastectomy, don't have a mastectomy feeling like I love my body and feel good about it. Now this is happening. Um, But what my research showed, the intervention that I was fortunate enough to discover something called self-compassion, which is essentially treating yourself like a good friend. And what my research showed is simply listening to meditation, self-compassion meditations for an hour a week, Mm-hmm. Uh, for three weeks, I, what happened is it it reduced body shame, reduced body dissatisfaction, reduced self-worth based on appearance and improved body appreciation. So nothing to do with changing your body. I've used to, you know, be of this mindset, like when I was a personal fitness trainer, when you have the perfect body, whatever that is, when you you know lose the weight, get all cut up with, you know, muscles, then you'll love your body. But what always ended up happening is it's like, you're chasing your tail. It's never good enough. Cause again, yeah. it's how you see yourself in the mirror. In my forties, I was working out 46 hours a day. I was totally, oh you know, gosh. muscle bound cut up six pack, the whole nine yards, but I hated my body. No matter what I did, I was calorie deprived. I was working out way too much. Um, and now, you know, even with breast cancer and I, you know, I still work out and I take great care of myself, but I love how my body looks. And I think that Mm -hmm. for me and for a lot of the women I've worked with the self-compassion piece, working on treating yourself like a good friend really does work for a couple of reasons. When you love yourself, you can't look at yourself in the mirror. Your body's a part of who you are and say, oh my God, I don't like that. I don't like that. What's wrong with me? And you start to talk to yourself the way you would a good friend. You you are accepting of your flaws. You understand that you know we all age, millions of women go through breast cancer. You're not alone. And when those thoughts come up or you're suffering because you're like, oh my gosh, I don't feel good in a bathing suit this season give yourself what you need. So maybe like, like for me right now, I'm kind of like, I can't wear a lot of cute things because I'm going through radiation this summer. So I can't Mm -hmm. like, I got to keep covered up. So it's like, you know, so I'll buy myself some extra t-shirts. I'll be easy with myself. I'll mourn what I need to mourn you. You allow yourself to grieve too. When those difficult emotions come up, whether it's about your body, whether it's about going through this, um, really a challenging thing called breast cancer, yeah, you give yourself what you need, instead of just going, you know, the, the medical establishment wants to put you on this treadmill, or this, um, you know, you know, just this, yeah, I, I guess I'll call it a treadmill, It's like this funnel of this is what you have to do. You can pause, you can say, you know, what do I need right now? Like, mm-hmm. like, do I really, can I take a week off and maybe I want to go on that trip or do something before I start this treatment? Or, you know, how do I be there for my friend? We, for myself, like a friend, we go right into this fix it crisis mode with self-compassion. You give yourself permission to step back and say, if I had a good friend and she was going through this, how would I treat her? And then you do that for yourself. So self-compassion, I would say the Reiki and self-compassion have been huge tools for me. I had another health crisis 3 years ago where I went blind three times my right oh got detached. So I've <sighs> it's not my first crisis in midlife, but um the self-compassion the Reiki have really been lifesavers for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean is is self-compassion like self-love or it's they're two different things, right?
1: Yeah, well, self-compassion I think of as the how of self-love. Mm. Like we hear all the time, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, but how the heck do you do it? Right. Right. So with self compassion, it's the how to of self love because self compassion is like a muscle, it's something that you can grow. So we go to the gym, you know, to grow our biceps to get stronger. The more you practice, it's a practice. So the more you practice it, the more you pause, take a self compassion break, maybe write yourself a self compassion letter do some of those meditations around self-compassion. If you like to meditate, mm-hmm. the more you do those things and treat yourself like a good friend, the stronger it grow. So it's the how, it's a prescription. It's things yes. we can do. And I feel like with self-love, it's always, it's kind of ubiquitous. Like, how do I do this self-love thing? I think self-care is a piece of it. Self-care mm-hmm. is kind of like when we love ourselves, that's how we care for ourselves. And that's been helpful too, of thinking about my um, cancer journey. My healing journey is part of self-care. So, you know, getting Mm -hmm. radiation is self care. I'm caring for myself and doing my complimentary, you know, taking boatloads of turkey tail mushrooms and, you know, going in, doing um, all the stuff I'm doing to detox my body, jumping on a trampoline to get my lymphatic system working better, Mm -hmm. meditating. All of this is self-care, you know, even things like going to the dentist, um, you know, getting Mm -hmm. your mammograms. Those are all self-care things. And that's a piece of self-love too. I think when we love ourselves, we make the time to do the self-care treatments.
0: Yes. Yes. I agree. And so you're, so you're doing your integrative care. Um, so for listeners who don't know, turkey tail is a medicinal mushroom, not necessarily, not necessarily a mushroom you would ever cook with, but they have like mushroom coffees and all that kind of stuff. What is, what is not to say like anybody should take this because supplements are kind of individual, but, um, turkey tail mushrooms, what, what does that do for, for you as a cancer patient?
1: Well, turkey tail mushrooms are really um, very supportive of the immune system and um, they're particularly useful. There's been some research around turkey tail and breast cancer. And in fact, there's a great, um, great documentary called Fantastic Fungi. And Ooh. it really focuses on this uh, gentleman who grows all of these incredible medicinal mushrooms. And he tells the story of his mom who had stage, I believe, four breast cancer. And they were like, "There's nothing they could do. And she was healed with turkey tail. So I'm not saying, you know, I think it's really important, as you said, to talk to your practitioners, um and, you know, we know conventional isn't isn't always trained in these things. And yes. but, you know, to find, practitioners who are open to allowing you to do these things. When you think about mushrooms in general, um, you know, they live on the bottom of the forest, right? They're living Mm -hmm. with all of this bacteria and all of these invaders and things. And so when we're ingesting them, it is somehow, you know, really, they're not quite a plant, right they're not an animal they're not a plant there's some in thing in between but there's so much incredible research around the medicinal benefit of mushrooms and and in general you know most of these complementary things are really do no harm
0: mm-hmm. although
1: there there is some research around some of the um especially now I was going through radiation I've gotten some advice about stopping everything so I'm really kind of again Looking to both sides to try to try to figure out what's right for me. So, but turkey tail really, I think, is, is probably one of the best ones for fighting breast cancer. I know that also chaga, which actually isn't a mushroom; mm-hmm. it's more like a fungus that grows on a specific <clears throat> tree, is also really beneficial. Um, so, I'm taking as much of it as I can. But you can't. We can. I'm actually learning how to forage too. So, trying to I think. We have some some turkey tail growing here in the woods of Vermont. Oh, that's
0: that's so cool. Yeah. Dr. Ellen was showing me some pictures of where she lives and how beautiful it is. And, and uh, tell, tell the listeners that wonderful story about the peonies that you shared with me earlier. I think that was, it's a great metaphor for the process that we go through.
1: Yeah. So I have, I live on a property. I live on 10 beautiful acres. I live on an island in Vermont on Lake Champlain and the previous owner of the property was a florist. And she planted some extraordinary things, including, I probably have 12 peony bushes that grow these peonies of the size of baseballs. They're <laughs> even bigger. They're like huge. But she also planted this horrible invasive thing called five-seeded poppy, which just it grows. And I fight it bite it back and I dig it out. You've got to get it out by the roots and it's actually toxic as well. So you have to wear like gloves and everything when you're dealing with it. But what I'm finding, what it does is it, it grows right next to the peony bushes. And in fact, sometimes it even wraps its roots right close to the peonies. So I feel like the five-seeded poppy is like my cancer. Mm-hmm. And the peony is like my body. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to extract and eradicate, you know, eradicate the five seeded poppy uh, without killing the peony plants. Because if <laughs> I let it go, it would kill the peony plants, but these peonies are so gorgeous. So I'm really working with how do I get rid of it? So how do I get rid of this cancer, but at the same time heal my body? So, you know, that I don't do any, do the least amount of damage. And at the same time, even find ways that I can get, make my body even stronger. Cause my, my goal is to make it to a hundred. you know, I'll tell my Mm -hmm. doctors that, well, I don't want to just get rid of the cancer. I want to make sure I don't do anything so that when I look back, when I'm, let's say 70 or 80, and I look back at this time in my life and I say, why the heck did you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, now you've got neuropathy and you can't, you know, you've lost your feeling and your fingers and your toes or all of those kinds of things. And I know sometimes those are life, you know, life, uh, determining decisions and it, it they're hard decisions to make, but I want to be like that beautiful peony for a really long time. So I'm trying to get rid of the cancer, the poppy, the poppies, uh, in my life so that I can really live to a hundred.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that breast cancer specifically um, really, well, any cancer diagnosis, but with breast cancer, you think of the breast as uh, in one context as nourishment. Um, and so I think a question that breast cancer asks of us is to look at how we are nourishing ourselves or how we may be struggling to nourish ourselves. And I think we've had a similar experience in that we were too health conscious people who were shocked, but at the same time, saw this as an opportunity to really fill in the gaps of, you know, where maybe we could take our health to another level. And I know for me, a lot of it has been with dealing with prior trauma. Um, also, yeah, like emotional toxicity, I think is is a really interesting thing to address. And, you know, where can I forgive? Where can I let go? Where can I release things, but also how do I find balance? And for me, that was a lot about stress and I was already pretty non-toxic, but taking that to a whole new level, how do you see, be, see that showing up in your life now? Cause you, you were clearly very healthy <laughs> before.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the trauma piece was definitely there. So yeah. there was, you know, I am a highly sensitive person and I'm, I'm an empath and, you know, my parents um, fought a lot and that was how they mm-hmm. communicated. They still are together. They're in their nineties. They adore each other, but they bicker. Mm-hmm. But as a little kid, I would, I would, was traumatized. I would literally go in the closet and hide for hours while they fought. Mm-hmm. And then I got in a marriage that had the same energy, which is like bizarre. Like, why are we, because, ad- well, the, the brain is, we, we like familiarity. So there was Mm -hmm. something attractive about being in a relationship where with my ex-husband, we, we fought a lot. We bickered Mm -hmm. a lot. We fought a lot. Um, I went into really traumatic experiences when we would fight. I'd want to like go back into that closet. Um, it was for me, the relationship, the, the interaction really triggered a lot of trauma. So there was definitely a lot of trauma. And then you know, I, I, I'm working with an integrative um, med doctor myself. So going through this with her and realizing like the last couple of years, the last four years, so I had that difficult marriage mm-hmm. where I eventually left um, that was making me feel miserable. Um, following that, you know, going through divorce, very mm-hmm. traumatic because I still, you know, love my ex with this 25 years of marriage, you go through two wow. kids, you go through a lot of stuff, right? So there's the trauma with the divorce. And then there was the trauma with, you know, my eye. This first health crisis where yeah. I almost went blind in my good eye. Three times my retina detached and each time I had to you know, go, go and, uh, have, have to deal with it. And then I think I've moved like four times, you know, in the last like four years or so. So there's been a lot of, a lot of trauma, a lot of stress. Um, certainly in Mm my forties, I was not this, uh, more enlightened, self-compassionate human. I was very hard on myself, incredible perfectionist tendencies. I had eating disorders, negative body image, over-exercising perfectionism, all of those things. So, Though that history doesn't just go away. Um, yeah. you know, as you know, cancer is a cumulative disease and I also have Hashimoto's disease. I think as, as oh, do you, and there's yeah. certainly a connection. I know there's a connection between celiac mm-hmm. and breast cancer and probably something I'm still dealing with a little bit of funkiness with my thyroid and my immune system. So the trauma definitely is there in my history. So I'm trying to excavate that as well. And fortunately Um, I didn't repeat that same pattern of being attracted to people uh, because of this familiarity and this, this tension, there can be kind of a, um, you know, like this sort of, uh, I think about like fatal attraction, right? Like this, (laughs) we're, we're taught to be this sort of sexual chemistry with some danger there. And now the, the wonderful human I'm engaged to is just He's just like the dearest, sweetest, kindest. We never fight. There's no tension. Lifestyle-wise, I never in a million years thought I would find a man who is more dedicated to health and well-being than me. Ooh. I mean, we grow all our own food. We, you know, juice our kale. We, I think we have 40 collards and 40 kale grown out in out in the back. So Ooh, he's just awesome. the gentle, he said, yeah, he's a the most gentle, kind, compassionate, loving, supportive. But there's not that like sexual ugh, kind of just like, whoa, I want to kill myself over oh, this, rela- you know, this relationship must have, I mean, I was mm-hmm. just attracted to that kind of energy and I learned my lesson.
0: Mm-hmm. And this
1: time around went for something very different in a very different lifestyle. I'm still dealing a little bit with my workaholic tendencies because mm-hmm. that's another way that I kind of, we find ways that we don't want to deal with difficult emotions or we want what's called dopamine, the chemical of rewards. Yeah. We might lean into sort of things that, that, Trigger that make us feel good, and so I'm finding new ways to be okay with where I'm at in life and to to just take it easy, take a little bit of a healing sabbatical as I deal with breast cancer.
0: That's awesome. I'm glad you're taking that time for yourself and congratulations on your engagement i didn't I didn't realize this was um this was yeah not a, a pre-existing marriage. Did you get? how, how has that been for your, or how has the cancer journey been for your relationship?
1: You know, it hasn't really, it's brought us closer Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, Kenny is like, it's it's actually making us healthier because, um, you know, we are both really dedicated to make, he's going to make it to at least we've, we've kind of boosted maybe even to 110. We're really dedicated to that. So we did a lot of the, we started doing a lot of things because of the, um, the, my diagnosis that we meant to do things like getting rid of the nonstick cookware,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, going a you know, even more on the vegan side, cleaning up our diet, even more doing things like doing the steam showers, doing the skin brushing it's brought us closer together. Um, you know, even like I'm going to uh, Dana Farber to talk to Sarah Tulane, who is one of the, um, world's leading experts on breast cancer in, in a couple of weeks. And Kenny oh, cool. was insistent on driving. So, you know, for me Mm. asking for help or receiving help, um, my ex, you know, wouldn't have been, it was much more of a controlling kind of thing. At least it felt that way to me. So with Kenny, it's like, yeah, I want to be here for you. It's like this, I want to love you. And just the, the level of love and compassion and oxytocin and cuddling and just, he's totally there. And I think one of the, I have to say, one of the most important things, if you are a cancer patient you've got to find time just to be your old self because I find that that's the most challenging thing for me, particularly because I'm not leaning as much into my work, which gives me a lot of satisfaction of just like yesterday was just like, I just want to go out and play in the garden, go for a walk and being with him is just so healing. And I Mm -hmm. feel normal. And I think we have to sort of take off this mantle of breast cancer patient. And just be like, okay, I got to like set that aside now and find some time just to feel normal. Like I love it when I'm just like, oh, I feel like myself today. Mm -hmm. And so he really helps me to feel like myself.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. I I think that it becomes this full-time job in your brain, even when you're not just going to appointment after appointment, but you're dealing with just the thoughts or the decisions that seem so overwhelming with no clear answer. You know, the the whole lumpectomy, mastectomy decision is is very intense for so many women and really ties into a lot of things that you don't even know how it's going to play out in your life later, which is why I'm so glad that you touched on that self-compassion piece. So I'm curious because you mentioned that you were vegan before. And so you're currently following a vegan diet. Not a hundred percent,
1: but usually we'll eat animal protein a couple of times a week. If we feel Mm -hmm. like it, like I might, you know, roast some vegetables with a couple of chicken, chicken uh, drumsticks or something, but pretty much vegan, you know, I would say 90,
0: 95%. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, on, on, on this podcast, obviously nutrition is, is a big focus for me. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to, um, you know, talk to different people and their different plans. So just kind of switching gears a little bit, because if, if listeners don't know, Dr. Ellen, you are, you are a woman of many talents and, uh, much wisdom. So I kind of, if you don't mind, I would love to talk about your, so you wrote a book called rock your midlife. You, you are the midlife whisperer and where did, what is the mid, why do you call yourself the midlife whisperer? Well,
1: um, because it really encapsulates what I do. So when you think Mm -hmm. about like the horse whisper, the dog whisper, the cat whisper, it's (laughs) this it's this deep understanding, having worked with hundreds of women at midlife, Mm -hmm. even before I was at midlife myself and really understanding the unraveling that can go that that goes on with most of us, particularly if we're really not on our path, whether we are facing a true crisis, not a midlife crisis, but a true crisis like like breast cancer, which is a true crisis or, you know, going through menopause, going through Mm -hmm. empty nest, going through, you know, our new self identity. So I feel like, yeah, I understand you like that, that, um, I I do both the uh, you know the tough stuff of holding people accountable and helping them to really step outside their comfort zone and be resilient but also the like yeah I got you I understand yeah shh is like whisper I understand <laughs> what this is like and I feel like I'm kind of whispering to women's souls I mean the last step in my my book it's seven steps and you can enter at any step you'd like but just that um enlightenment piece of finding purpose and passion and meaning in your life. So it feels like, you know, I understand I've got you. the, the idea came to me. I was actually at a women's business meeting and I was kind of the, the time I was the grown glow coach. And then this idea just popped into my head, the midlife whisper. And I was shocked that nobody had the moniker. Mm-hmm. So I got the trademark and it's stuck ever since.
0: Yeah. I think it's a great way to describe what you're doing and you have a a radio show as well as a podcast that um what is it's called Rock Your Midlife, correct? Correct. Yeah. Guest recently, which was Yes, which was great. And Rock Your Midlife is also the name of your book. So I love that. I mean a lot of This podcast has been geared towards women who, you know, maybe were diagnosed just at the beginning of midlife or even younger, because I think that's a population that doesn't get talked about so much. But, you know, there are so many women, myself included, that are going through midlife now. And it's it's an area that we just don't talk about very much. I mean, it's either those fertile years of pregnancy or menopause, you know, and I feel like there's such a huge gap in between that's so tumultuous for so many women. And, you know, just even uh, like you mentioned, going through a divorce um, and then I, I am personally single at this moment and, you know, dating, but it's, it's a, it's an interesting experience to be single and independent in midlife and it's been a great time for me to really explore and um especially that self-compassion piece i think it's so great that a lot of women or and hopefully more women are starting to address those perfectionist tendencies so when you started working on this so you were working with midlife women through your uh, nutrition practice your holistic health
1: Yeah. So I've started as a dietitian back in 1993 and Mm -hmm. the majority of people who came to me were midlife women. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a outpatient nutrition practice, and then I became a personal fitness trainer in my forties. And again, then I was at midlife and midlife women were coming to me. So for some reason, I've always attracted and been attracted to this time of life. Cause like, as you said, and I think that's changing so much Junie that, mm-hmm. you know, you have people like Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore going through it, talking about it, you know, certainly um, I'm she wrote the the other really important woman who's who's talking about this. But look, women are talking about it. I think we're yeah. refusing we're saying also to the media you know, we matter, this time of life matters. We want to see you midlife women. We want actresses talking about midlife. We want juicy stories. We really mm-hmm. want to, you know, to uh, shine more of a light on this important time period. But I've always been fascinated. And I wrote the book really because I felt there wasn't a good how-to book out there. I feel like there's a lot of really good memoir kind of books, but a book that anybody could pick up, turn to any page, any of the seven steps and start with, at whatever area... They feel really spoke to them. And particularly, you know, as you mentioned too, the self-compassion, the self-love piece really changes everything. Because when you yeah. love yourself, you stop doing things that insult your soul whether that is, mm-hmm. you know, I'm stopping those habits that are impacting my health in a negative way. You start attracting what is truly in your best interest, whether that is attracting a wonderful partner or a beautiful place to live, the right kind of work. It really makes the difference because everything's energy. And when we put out this energy of, I love myself, I care about myself. I appreciate myself. I am enough exactly as I am warts and all it really changes everything. So it's just a joy to work with women around this time of life. My challenge now is how do I talk about rock and midlife? Why I, why I'm going through my cancer journey. And that, you know, mm-hmm. has taken me a couple of months since the beginning, because it really changes my brand and my message because mm-hmm. I was all like light and shiny and bright. And now I don't always feel that way. I do. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, feeling good on this podcast today and sharing, but there's days and I'm, you know, if you're listening and you're going through it, it's okay to feel depressed. And actually it's normal. That's a piece of self-compassion too, is it's common humanity, knowing that feeling crappy, whether physiologically, psychologically, or both is normal. There's nothing wrong with you. And in fact, I think it would be abnormal to go through it, you know, easy and breezy because it is no fun.
0: Yeah. That's a super important point. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that So many people who are maybe attracted to this podcast or your show, they see, they want to be positive because we talk a lot about mindset. We talk about, well, this is, you know, this doesn't have to be this terrible fate. This can be a catalyst to perhaps your best life. But acknowledging that, yeah, we are humans, you know, we're not going to feel this. Positivity all the time, you're not gonna feel and it is really important to feel those feelings. And I think also if you think about that energetic sort of law of attraction, of um th- there can be a fear for a lot of people too. Like I don't want to sit in this dark feeling because I'm afraid it'll draw more darkness to me. But so there is a an art to that. How do you feel like you've navigated? the art like how much time do you give yourself to be be down like when do you pull yourself out
1: that's a great question well at first i want to say too there's there's such a thing as toxic positivity so this kind mm-hmm. of like i'm going to always be positive 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 and um that's not healthy and and that can really backfire for you all your emotions have information. And so mm-hmm. I think we're often taught to feel, you know, gratitude, happiness, joy, but God forbid we should be like grief, sadness. I feel, I'm feeling a lot, get a lot of anger, a lot of mm-hmm. anger, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, why is this happening to me, rumination. So the way I deal with it is really self-compassion. So self-compassion mm-hmm. is an, imel- an emotional regulatory technique. So with self-compassion, when you're feeling the emotion, the first thing is, name it, you tame it. So this is anger. This is sadness. This is grieving. This is frustration. This is overwhelm, a big piece of right. That's confusion. Um, and so, or even shame and embarrassment around some of it. I mean, you're lying there on this radiation table with your chest wide open, with your tits hanging out and like a bunch of strangers surrounding you or you're like in the OR naked about to like go. It's very vulnerable, right?
0: So vulnerable. So
1: yeah, so instead of like pushing it away or I see in my practice, because I'm very skilled with emotional eating, people eat too much, they eat, they drink they watch netflix shopping all of these things which counterproductive name it you tame it so what you Mm -hmm. when you name it what happens is you take it from the amygdala the primitive part of your brain and you bring it to your frontal cortex takes away the stickiness oh this is just an emotion you get curious about it you Mm -hmm. become that observer so first kind of just noticing okay what is this what what am i feeling right now or anxiety that's a big one when you get curious about your anxiety or the other emotions, what it does is it turns down. And this is, you know, there's research around this. It turns down that anxiety knob, turn up your curiosity knob. You can't be sort of curious or you can't be like, gratitude is another practice that you incorporate, but you just Mm -hmm. observe it, name it, you tame it and feel it, you heal it. We've talked a lot about trauma, but Mm -hmm. emotions are felt experiences in the body. The body keeps score, right? There's that famous book out there, the body keeps score. So where are you feeling it? Is it in your belly? Is there tightness in your stomach? Is it in your throat? You're having trouble speaking your truth or advocating for yourself. Is it in your heart, your jaw, your, you know, you have to have a headache, Feel it, you heal it. And then you soften, soothe, and allow. So just soften mm-hmm. that part of your body. Just just, you know, try to like breathe into it, soothe it, you know, give yourself self-self-love where you're, you know, touching yourself. That generates oxytocin. So touching mm. that difficult part of your body or somewhere where it feels soothing, and then just allowing the emotions to come and go. Because what happens is when we shove them down it's like that game of whack-a-mole, right? You know, if you've mm-hmm. seen that there, kid, You hit oh, the, yeah. the moles on the head, they pop back up, comes back as depression, which it's interesting. Depression and breast cancer, same incidence in midlife women, one out of eight, 12%. Really? Yeah, hmm. women at, at midlife have the highest rate of depression for any group according to gender and age. So it doesn't go away, but it, you know, it surfaces as depression because depression is like pressing down, Mm -hmm. but, you know, seeing a therapist is great. Getting coaching. I mean, I have a coach right now that's helping me through all of this. Um, Journaling is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Going and walking in nature, talking to yourself the way you would a good friend. And then sometimes, you know, I just have to set it. I just have to say, stop. Like when my Mm -hmm. mind is ruminating because I've been practicing mindfulness for so long and I have a meditation and a self-compassion practice, When my mind is going crazy, I can just say, whoa, this is not serving me because what happens Mm -hmm. is rumination, it comes from the word ruminant, which, you know, we think about ruminants, as cows, especially here in Vermont, chewing their (laughs) cud. We chew it over and over again. Our brain thinks that thinking about it is going to help us solve the issue. But what's really going on is um, it's, it's kind of reinforcing it. Rumination just keeps you stuck. It's like being stuck in the mud. And so at some point, you know, again, mindfulness practice, meditating is great. Realizing this is mm-hmm. just a thought I had to really, uh, my my um, spiritual coach was like, think about what, what's nourishing, mm-hmm. right? What nourishes you? And I realized, fill my mind with nourishing thoughts. Mm-hmm. These thoughts about why is this happening to me? I don't know what to do. Slowing down. I literally like turtles would pop up in my path. <laughs> tell me to slow down slowing down and really um, shifting your mindset and you don't have Mm -hmm. to be like always super positive, but trying to be in the moment. What am I experiencing right now Mm -hmm. that the world's still a beautiful place? It's, you know, it's summertime, springtime. And it's, so it takes work and practice, um, but it's Mm -hmm. doable.
0: Yeah. That's all really fantastic advice. And I, I love the, the just sometimes telling yourself just to stop, that can be the most simple thing. And I also love personally, I, I'm a, I do a lot of mindfulness and journaling and sometimes, especially with anxiety, instead of saying, oh, you're just being anxious, you know, just calm down. I'll, I'll allow anxiety to speak to me. So I, I sit down with my journal and I say, okay, anxiety, you've got the floor. Like, what are you worried about? And then I just kind of stream of consciousness, right? And I say all the crazy thoughts that I'm having because I'm, well, I'm afraid this is going to happen. This is, this is this. And then when you're able to, you know, I guess it's probably that same process that you said with the amygdala to what is the prefrontal cortex to to switch it over to to this sort of irrational to rational when you can see on the paper. And then you go, oh my gosh, (laughs) these are really crazy thoughts. And you know what? even if they don't seem like crazy thoughts, you just don't know. A lot of the times it's you trying to assume that you can predict the future. But, um, and if if it is something I'm really worried about, I can always say, well, what if, what if that, what if that was what actually happened? That totally unlikely outcome. And that really helps helps me. But sitting with emotions, I think that's something that I have really only learned to do in the last couple of years. And it's obviously still a process that I have to work on. And it gets easier, like you said. Um, and I think meditation is really, really powerful for that to just allow you to recognize this is just an emotion. You know, it's valid, give it, give it its own, um, you know, give it the floor, but. It's, it's just a thought and you can let that go. So I think the way you described, I really like the way you described your process because I think that's another thing people are always hear this, um, feel it to heal it, but, but what exactly does that mean? So I, I appreciate you outlining it like that. I think that's a really good thing. So as we are kind of wrapping up here, I'm just curious, what, what, is, a, what is a lesson that you feel like you have learned from this cancer journey that you think you'd like to share? I mean, you've shared a lot of lessons, but is there anything else you think you'd like to add?
1: I guess I'm learning one of the hardest lessons for me is really patience. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
1: why these literal turtles are showing up in my life to slow down and be patient because I'm, very uncomfortable not having that next project, the next book I'm working mm-hmm. on, you know, that next course that I'm planning, that next, the launch, right? It's kind yeah. of an addictive thing, but it's it's something that um, as an entrepreneur I've always done. And the universe is clearly saying to me right now, you need to take a healing sabbatical. You need to heal yourself and things mm-hmm. will come. And this will lead, you know, this is, it's changing my brand, my business, my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but really learning to be patient and to be okay with what is, you know, this this acceptance piece of just accept it. And I think also just, I'm sure you experienced some of this too, just the um, not beating myself up because I kind mm-hmm. of scratch my head and I just go, I did everything right. I mean, I nursed my kids for three years, mm-hmm. right? I did, and thinking when I see people who have really unhealthy lifestyles and thinking like, why do I have this? And other mm-hmm. people who aren't as healthy. So there's a lot of this sort of like, why is this happening to me? But being patient and being okay with what is, accepting. And I think ultimately knowing that life is happening for you, mm-hmm. not to you. And I'm sure that there already have been so many silver linings. And if you know, if you're listening for me, it's, it's a wake up call that I know ultimately for the next 40 years is creating changes on so many levels that are going to serve me really well um, for the rest of my life.
0: That's wonderful. And um, so are you taking, you're not taking clients at this time?
1: Pretty much no, because especially now that I'm about to start radiation, which I know you didn't do to decide, opted out of that yes. path, but it's, it's five days a week. And I live yeah. almost an hour away from the hospital. So Oof. it's going to be, you know, basically three hours out of my day going to and from, and yeah. I know that you can be tiring. Um, and right now it's, you know, it, I feel like I need, you know, being a coach, I love coaching. I've been coaching for mm-hmm. 15 years and I absolutely love it. And I miss the client work, but I, it's tough for me to receive. As you said earlier, I've given mm-hmm. and given and given and given, and I love to give, but um, the receiving piece is a piece that is been harder for me. And that's another lesson I've learned with my fiance of just being open to receive all that the world has to offer me, you know, creating new friendships and, um, doing what is really nourishing for me. So right now I am, I'm am not going to hopefully by the fall. And mm-hmm. when I'm kind of on the other, other side of the radiation, and I've got the, the chemical piece, you know, figured out, mm-hmm. um, I'll be able to start. I I'll, I'll want to start seeing new clients again or having things going on in that direction.
0: Yeah. Well, good for you for taking that time for yourself. So if, if people want to find you, I will put all these links in the show notes, but what are some of the best ways to to reach you?
1: Thanks for asking. My book is totally available. So I've kind of put okay. all my coaching knowledge Rock your midlife. It's there on Amazon. And you can just reach me at the midlifewhisper.com That's the midlifewhisper.com I've I'm being impersonated a lot on Instagram, but I'm the only really? whisper. Oh, yeah, no. that's yeah, it's crazy and it's hard to get. People off of it, and then they. But anyway, but I am at the Midlife Whisper um, on Instagram and um, Midlife Whisper on the World Wide Web and Facebook. I am. I have got a group called Dr. Ellen's Mastermind, as well as Dr. Ellen Albertson. So if you just Google the Midlife Whisper, I will pop up everywhere. I've got a free gift, which is ten tips to rock your midlife. See that and my radio show which is, uh, on the voice America radio network, again, that's all on my website. If you want to give it a listen and listen to your show, which was awesome.
0: <laughs> I had so much fun. Uh, well, perfect. I will make sure that all of these links are in the show notes and thank you so much for talking with me today. I always enjoy your insight. I think you're, you're a powerhouse and you're very inspiring. And I am, I will continue to to watch you rock this journey. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, Junie.
0: <laughs> uh, seriously, how cool! is Dr. Ellen. (laughs) I just love her. I think she's great. And, uh, I have included all of these links for her, how to reach her, how to follow her on social media, how to find the book, how to listen to the radio show. She has, it's, it's such a great show and she has really interesting topics and wonderful guests. Speaking of, um, being a guest and and podcasting. I am in the middle of what I'm calling a bit of a podcast world tour right now. I am going to be on a bunch of shows coming up. Um, It's just what I love to do. And I am so inspired by those of you who have reached out to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I say this all the time, but I say it because I mean it when I hear from you it it makes my day it makes my week it makes my year Um, and I can't believe that the podcast is almost one year old we're coming up (laughs) I'm super excited about that so if you want to find me, come over to Instagram. That's where I'm mostly active. Instagram, Facebook, I'm at Juni B Well. I am also on LinkedIn, just not quite as active over there. And I'm on TikTok, but I just, I just can't. I cannot <laughs> with all of the social media. So I'm trying to keep up. Please bear with me. But mostly I'm on Instagram. I'm also an Insight Timer. I'll put that information in the show notes where you can find me. And I'm still taking one-on-one clients because I love and am so honored to be walking this journey with you all, whether you're uh, in treatment, out of treatment, or a woman just looking for general hormone balance or to improve your libido. Um, That's the work that I've been doing through the Rose City Sexual Health Collective out here in beautiful Portland, Oregon. And one last tiny request from me. If you are enjoying this podcast, please, please, please do me a favor and leave a positive review if that's coming from your heart. It really helps others find the podcast. It just creates a little bit more visibility and we've started charting in Brazil now. So we've charted in South Africa, the Netherlands, Germany, and now Brazil. So hoo, hoo, hoo. I just love it. Anyway, that is all for today. I will be back in two weeks with another solo episode. And as always, I am wishing you well. Take care.